Hey everybody, I'm Tommy Bowles, my co-host Matt Shaw. You're listening to Just the Basics, the weekly podcast where, well, we bring you the beat once a week. Hello everyone. This week we're going to continue our series on the role of instruments. Um, Last week we talked about the role of the bass. We didn't quite finish about that, so we're going to finish that up this week. I know last week we were talking a lot about harmony and time, or harmony mostly, and uh, I felt like we had a pretty good discussion about that, but there's a second major thing that you should be focusing on when you're a bass player or that you're, you should be expecting out of your bass player, and that is that he plays time. That is uh, pretty crucial. <laughs> um, now, this is not to uh, give everybody else in the band an out, because time is everybody's job through and through. Like, if you even have one person that can't play time, it makes it it really makes it un, uneasy, makes it difficult to pull things along. But your bass player needs to be your foundation of time, especially in any sort of jazz setting. But even in a rock setting, I mean, you're playing straight eighth notes, you better, you, they should be in time. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so anyways. Can you imagine that? You're playing eighth notes and you're do, 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 It would sound like you're trying to play some weird odd time signature thing and everybody else would be like, what? Why is the bass player in Rush? So then again, you might have like Matt and I sitting here like, okay, yeah, I can dig that. Yeah, yeah, we'd probably start to wonder if it was intentional. <laughs> I guess as long as you repeat the same mistake more than once, it kind of balances out, right? Oh, exactly. That's the uh, the old jazz player trick. <laughs> Mess up once, make it intentional the second time. <laughs> <laughs> Just like when you play a wrong note, bring it up a half step or down a half step. You'll be right eventually. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's great. Um, but so back to time the place where it's most evident is in your uh like your basic swing tunes or hard bop bebop where your bass player is playing your quarter note walking lines that is Mm -hmm. where it is most evident how important it is for a bass player to play time um because all you're doing you're playing quarter notes it's not that difficult but it you know if they're not in time i mean and i don't mean time as in just keeping it like when, I, when we're talking about playing in time, what we're talking about is keeping a steady beat that stays the same through the entire song. Um, so if your BPM is 160 beats per minute, you're going to be at 160 from the time you start the song to the time you end the song. And in the middle, you're going to be at 160. You don't want it to be any squirreling around in there. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, you everybody knows what it sounds like when you play out of time when it's really obvious. Like if someone's playing one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I mean, clearly that's all over the place and everybody understands that part of it. Mm-hmm. But m- the, most of the time is when it kind of creeps. So you start out at 120 and you finish at 160. Over the course of three minutes, it might not seem that noticeable as you go, but you're slowly rushing and speeding up, or you're going the opposite direction, which I actually think is worse when you start slowing it down. Yeah, That's a, a lot more painful. <laughs> I think rushing ends up feeling a teensy bit more natural, but uh, dragging is is bad. Feels but like nobody can I, play it right. 
Right, right, right. It, it it definitely hurts the overall feel a lot more than if you rush a teensy bit. I think it's normally typical that a band will rush a little bit. I I would prefer when I play that it that doesn't happen, but at least that if you rush too much, then you feel that too, and that's that's no good. But if you if you rush like a couple BPM, I don't think anyone thinks that's the end of the world. But um, no, it's not as noticeable. And sometimes that happens out of pure adrenaline or uh, if you just end up a little bit ahead of the pocket. So it naturally starts to uh, or uh, not ahead of the pocket. Silly me before the pocket. <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, what's the difference, right? Ahead or before? Same thing. <laughs> but um, I guess uh, another thing we it on that topic itself, you can kind of go over how you feel that, quote unquote, the pocket and yeah that that's that's pretty important for for most instrumentalists i i and uh singers as well but it's a uh, it's one of those weird things that is said more than is actually legitimately it's, taught <laughs> right that's true well I, f- I feel like the pocket is kind of an abstract concept in a way right like it, it shouldn't be but it's kind of like so when you're in the pocket you know you're in the pocket because it feels good. When you're not in the pocket, sometimes you don't know you're not in the pocket just because you're in the moment you're playing it. But the person who's sitting out in the audience listening to it knows when you're not in the pocket because it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. So uh, how would how would you describe the pocket? Like to me, when I think about playing in the pocket, I think, you know, when you're walking down the street, your hands in your pockets, you're just comfortable. You're strolling at a constant rate. You're looking around, enjoying yourself. You're not stressed out. It doesn't matter how fast you're walking or how slow you're walking, you're just right there. I feel like that's a good way to describe how it feels in music mm-hmm. because you can have a pocket in a funk tune that's 80 beats a minute, or you can have the pocket in a bebop tune that's flying along at you know 250 uh, because it feels natural. Everything feels together and it's tight. You don't have time speeding up and slowing down. It's just right there and easy to grasp. Yeah, I feel like... In a weird way, in the pocket is a phrase that kind of defeats its own imagery. Because when you think of in the pocket, you think of like, like you said, like you're tucking your hands into your pocket nice and taut. And uh, that's where they're going to stay. And you're just relaxing and stuff. But I feel like even though it might depend band to band or style to style, it's kind of like everything enters a free form thought where the tempo and the beat is feeling so good that everyone kind of is feeling a bit of freedom of playing around and just everything is melding together and layering properly around the beat and Mm -hmm. nothing feels robotic about it, which you would think the the robot would be the thing that would be in the pocket the most because it would be exactly on the beat. But you can tell when a band is almost who good on their time so that there's no it, it's it's a little bit too tight and stingy on the feel where there's a nice and perfect balance in that moment where it just feels so good and some right. tunes are a little more appropriate to others like i remember a lot of the times we would play chameleon that that would that would just slip right in there and just feel so good or uh the, uh, the song or that it I, would feel super rocky depending on how people were communicating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've it, had that tune play feel horrible, and it's a really simple tune, 
and yeah, the yeah. baseline, it's just, you know, it's just chromatic. It's really easy. That's one you could teach to a beginner student, but it's a beginner student isn't going to teach. Yeah, exactly. But a beginner student isn't going to necessarily play it like a pro is. It's the same notes, mm-hmm. super easy, but the way it's felt is going to change everything. Even easier than that, like the superstition baseline is. Oh yeah, that's incredibly that's simple, one. but it's all about that feel and uh, just nailing the basically the soul in it. It's right. It's, uh, that's kind of where I feel like the pocket is, even though the uh, it, a lot of the time it's said by elitist directors or uh, musicians that want to talk big and demand that you sound better and they say you're not in the pocket get in the pocket but it's not really something that you just hop right into especially not one single musician it's more of the the group as a whole um listening to each other and communicating and feeling the beat all together and just locking in um where i think that there are some teachers and directors that act like the pocket is it, it, it can just be turned on and off like a switch, not something that you slide into and feel all together, which is frustrating because I think that uh, that really ticks off a bunch of um, beginners or people that aren't as familiar with the phrase um, when it's said like it's something that you should just know. You should just know how to do that. And I don't think that that's entirely fair, especially to newcomers to a group or um people that are learning right. especially because if you haven't played for 60 plus years or something like it, it might take you time to get into the feel like maybe this is your that out of all the jazz songs you've played or the blues songs or whatever this is your 10th and right you're still getting used to how this improv thing works and why is the uh, the guitar playing just a simple a chonk, a chonk, a chonk. What shouldn't that be playing something crazy good? I thought that you were amazing, dude, or something like that. And they they might right. not get it yet. They might think it's supposed to be a lot more than that, or uh, they might still think that elevator music is jazz. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right. Anywho, yeah, it's like kind of like when I talked about last week. We we're I was talking about. When I'm playing walking bass lines, nothing to me feels better than just outlining the chord, that simple harmony or a complex, whatever it is, and just playing those quarter notes along with it. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why that's so enjoyable, not just because of, of hearing the chord without actually playing it, because that's, that's pretty fun, but it's because that you're sitting right there in the pocket because you're playing in time. The drummer's feeling the beat with you. You're feeling the beat one way, the drummer's feeling the beat the same way, the piano player's feeling it the same way, the guitar player's playing it the same way, the vocalist feels it the same way, your trumpet player feels it the same way. Everybody feeling the beat right as you do is when you're in the pocket perfectly. Right. I feel like, just me personally, um, I feel like the pocket really is set up by your drums and bass, and then everybody else can kind of just sit on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um or drum, bass, and guitar, depending on what style of music you're playing. Like, if the guitar player is playing that Freddie Green style where you chunk, chunk, sure. chunk. Freddie Green, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned it last week. He was the uh, guitar player for the Count Basie Orchestra for a long time. Yeah. And he kind of, I mean, he had chops. So you should hear him play solos. He didn't do that much, though. 
I mean, he mostly just played the quarter notes, played the chords, chunk, 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 straight along, right with the bass player, right with the drummer's ride cymbal or hi-hat, whatever it was, and just gave the band an engine to drive on. And then it gives you just another way to feel the pocket. Yeah, uh, a lot of what he did like was, like you said, it was a rhythmic foundation. Um, his fingers were moving chord to chord usually um right it, of course it depended on the song but if you watch and listen to what he did there's a lot of very simple voicings that he's using chord to chord but the rhythm is just right where it needs to be and um mm-hmm. there's a special there's a bit of a magic touch that comes to that that uh that chonk rhythm because you don't land on the beat you land directly after it like milliseconds smack dab in the middle it, it's not <laughs> it's not too late it's cert, it, it can't be early it can never right. be early you want it you'd want it on the beat before early but it has to be just the teensiest teensiest smidge of a bit late and usually when i uh talk to students about this and of course none of them are have played long enough for it to really really sink in because they're still getting their technique down but it really has a lot to do with with your right hand um of almost the way that i do it is i kind of angle my hand just a little bit so the sound will come in a teensy bit late from my hand passing over the strings Mm -hmm. um but that's that that creates that effects and uh now now i'm on a guitar rant and a bass topic but that <laughs> that that's a it basically makes it so that the guitar and bass don't hit at the exact same time and it it uh it adds to that quote-unquote a pocket feel but right um, well that actually leads to a good point about when you're playing bass um where you hit on the beat depends on the style of music that you're playing and you're still going to be in time with that quarter note. Like if you had a metronome clicking, um, that was weird. I heard a whistle on my, if you had a metronome clicking, you'd hear, you'd still be perfectly in line with the metronome, but you're in a different part of the beat. So let's, uh, let's break that down a little bit, Matt. So it's easier for people to understand what we mean by being in the middle of the beat on the front end of the beat or the back end of the beat. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's kind of a tough concept to, to grasp at first. So the way I like to look at it is if you are looking at a chalkboard and you draw a circle on there. So a quarter note looks basically it's a circle with a line coming out of it. So you've got that circle. If you draw three lines over it, one at the beginning of it, one at the end, and one right down the middle of that quarter note. Those are what we mean by being on the front end of the beat. You're hitting it just as the beat starts. The back end of the beat, which is just as the beat ends, you're getting your note through, but you're still not late. It's just on the verge of being late. And then being right down the middle of the beat is when you're right in the middle of where it is. And the the best way to understand that is to listen to different types of music and um, really listening to live bands too, because in recordings, people are always going to, well if it's a good quality recording, they're going to have it right where they want it, even if they take multiple takes to get it. But uh, when you're on the front end of the beat, it gives you the feeling of rushing without actually rushing. So I feel like a lot of times when I'm playing in contemporary bands, uh, whether it's like a rock band or a church group, something like that, I feel like we play on the front end of the beat a lot, Mm -hmm. where I feel like 
also like I'll be playing along and all of a sudden I feel like I'm like, man, I feel like time is really squirting, uh, you know, really squirting away from us here. We're kind of rushing it. And really we're not um, because we have the metronome clicking in our ears and we're still right with it. But we're we're close. Like at, at any moment we could just take off and just start driving away. Um, occasionally you get the opposite feeling where you're like, man, I feel like we could be slowing down at any minute here, but you're still right with the metronome. It's, um, you're on the back end of the beat where all you could just slow down and it could drop off like a cliff at any moment. If you're right in the middle of the beat, it feels super comfortable. You're not rushing. You're not slowing down. You're right where you want to be. But depending on the style of music, you don't necessarily want to be right there. Um, but I'd say most of the time that's where I want to be. Uh, especially like in a jazz setting, if I'm playing a walking bass line, I want to be smack dab in the middle, no matter how fa- how fast we're playing, because otherwise we're gonna speed up eventually. Someone's gonna play a solo and play some hot lick, and we're gonna get excited. Next thing we know, we're ten clicks faster. Right. Or the opposite. Someone's gonna be playing something, and all of a sudden they're gonna they're gonna play out of time a little bit, and I'm gonna be like, man, that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I like that. And they're gonna come back into time, but the time they come back into is gonna be a couple clicks slower because get distracted for a split second mm-hmm. so the kind of where you are on the beat you can actually feel it when the whole group is playing together you might not feel it beat to beat but over the course of a, a eight bar phrase or a you know a chorus or something like that you you can tell if you're if it feels like you're rushing or slowing down right um and a lot of that in my opinion is on the bass player to kind of determine that part of it um and it's all about your right hand and your fingers when you pull through the string whether you're pulling through right as the beat starts whether you're getting to the string as the beat starts and finishing through in the middle of it or whether you're purposely kind of playing on the back end of the beat i I can't see very many situations as a bass player that i would purposely play on the back end of the beat right um as a guitar player i can see that happening more often and Mm -hmm. as a drummer i can see that occasionally but typically i'm going to be on the front end or in the middle depending on the style of music. I, I don't know. Anything you think that's a good explanation of that, Matt? Yeah, it's a, it's very tricky because... Um, it is, because it's kind of it, abstract. Right. It's like milliseconds of a difference. So yep. um, when... But you can, you can hear it, and you can feel the difference. It's not... Yeah, yeah, we're not yeah, just yeah. crazy. Jazz yeah, guys, when they say that, they're not crazy. You really can feel it. I promise you. <laughs> It's something that's it's difficult to hit. It's more it really is a feeling kind of a thing. Um, it is, uh, and if your whole group is rushing, it's a little bit trickier to like hear and quantify it with your ears. It's more that you hear and you feel it. It's uh, right. You it, that's why they call it rushing because it feels like things are rushed, even though. Um, like you said, uh, the beat might not actually speed up, whereas dragging, you actually feel that it's being pulled back a little bit and things are um, being weighed down. And uh, a lot of the times, uh, if you have like a morning rehearsal and everyone's still kind of sleepy and waking up. You're um, always on the back end of the beat then. <laughs> yep, quote unquote, when you arrive at 8 a.m. at church for uh for a practice that's actually not when my church starts practicing it's more like 8 45 and it's not that mine bad. starts at 7 30 oh oh doggies yeah that's an early practice it's everybody's <laughs> on the back end of the beat at that point in the morning 
Yeah, yeah, because they're just not awake yet and they're not feeling it so much yet. So it's very easy to hear that in those situations. Um, I think it can be a little trickier to hear when you have much more experienced musicians, but it'll still be there. So if you want to hear that, listen to more of a contemporary situation groups. Like I said, like a like a worship team at a church when they just start out. A lot of the time, there's a lot of dragging going on, and that's a great time to actually hear that effect happen because um, you'll hear dragging, you'll hear rushing, and that's simply because, um, or at least in many churches, the musicians, they aren't like fully trained, not highly educated in, in music itself and don't have years of experience. They're doing it out of their love for it and right. volunteering, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more, but it's a great... Uh, place to be able to observe effects like that and uh, of course you have to approach it with the right attitude don't go in there spouting out that they're terrible or something because they're not <laughs> no it's just a different like like my church we have three services so when I play the first we get there at 730 to play or our, our, we play through the set once then the first service starts it's our second time playing through it it's normally okay we're normally getting closer to where we want to be Everybody's still a little groggy because it starts at 830 in the morning and musicians don't wake up that early. Just tell them the truth. <laughs> That's why Guitar Center doesn't open till like 11. <laughs> oh, man, they wouldn't have anybody anyways. Besides maybe me and Matt. I don't know. Well, I don't know. They wouldn't have Matt and I walking into Guitar Center very often, but unless I needed strings or something. Anyways, um, then the second service I feel like is normally our best service. Because we are playing it more often. So it's our third time playing to the music. Everybody's awake and you're so you're actively engaged. You're playing right in the middle. It's comfortable. I feel like by the third service, everybody's like, okay, I'm tired of playing this music. And they start playing more on the front end of the beat. Now, the church that I play at, we play with a metronome. We use in-ear monitors. So it keeps us from rushing. But I've played at churches in the past that by the second or third service, everybody's kind of... Like, okay, let's hurry up and get this done with. I don't want to play this song again. And you right. end up kind of speeding through it. And it's not intentional. It's just kind of something that happens, you know, it's mentally. But if you have, as a bass player, if you're playing in that situation, you really need to focus as hard as possible at staying consistent through every single time that you play the tune, whether it's your first time playing it through that day or your hundredth time playing it through. Because everybody listens down to you. Like if you are playing in a band with in-ear monitors, I don't know if you do this, Matt, but a lot of times I don't have everybody in my monitors. Like there are times where I'm like, I really don't care what the synth, what the synthesizer is doing. I want to hear <laughs> the main piano and just the vocals and the drums. Or sometimes I'm like, okay, I only want to hear the lead vocal. I don't want to hear the harmonies right now. Or other times I'm like, well, hey, maybe I want to hear everything today. So it, it varies. But everybody has the bass in their ears because they, even if they don't have it in their monitors, they feel it rumbling the stage. So right. they're going to know exactly where you are. And please don't be that guy that gets muted. <laughs> I know bass players who get muted when they play out like in situations like that because they don't play in time. They play way too many notes. The harmonies aren't right. Biggest thing being time, though, because everybody feels it shaking the whole room. So it's like... Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. be that guy. Don't be that yeah. guy. It's not fun. <laughs> In a weird way, uh, a church service is one of the most difficult gigs just because 
you have to, um, at least as an, um, like an experienced musician that is used to play much more complex music, uh, because it takes a lot of patience and reservation to, um, that is true to avoid overplaying because the music really does call for your most basic of skills. And as a result, if you get lazy, when you play that, you go off time and you're all over the place and you sound terrible, no matter how experienced of a musician you are. Um, I can guarantee there are some times I've played really easy songs at my church that, uh, and maybe the congregation might not notice, but I can promise you there's some that have bored me to the point of me just not playing them well. Whereas if we play something like, uh, I've always liked Blessed Be Your Name, even though it's basic, mm-hmm. I have a little more fun with it and get a little groovy with it. And that, that kind of gets the whole, uh, the whole group a little more energized. But there are some songs that are very difficult to play simply because there's not much there. And so That's true. to bring um, out a little bit of heart in it can be a little tricky because you're just as a musician, you're just kind of shut off and therefore you can play that terribly if you don't pay attention and check yourself and make sure you actually focus on playing in time. Well, um, not going overboard, not getting, you can literally get sarcastic with your playing. You really don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can make, you can express a lot of emotions through your playing. You can make things funny. You can be a jerk. <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff you can do. I normally look at that situation, though, as a challenge as a bass player because okay. I know that I've got the chops. I can, I can sit down. like I mean, I can sit down with most jazz bands out there and hang. I, I just mm-hmm. could. I know that I've got the chops to do it. But I find it to be a fun challenge playing in something like that because I like to try to pick and choose when I can use my chops. Right, especially right. as a bass player, because you're you're holding the groove and you're playing your your eighth notes, your quarter notes, bum 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 bum, and you're playing the root note, and everything feels good because it's all that's how the music is supposed to be, you know. And it just is it it feels nice. But then um, there's a little bit of pause. The singer stops singing to take a breath, and then it's like, oh, is this my spot? Oh nope, the guitar player is going to take this one. Okay, cool. I'll wait for the next one. And so everybody's kind of taking turns, kind of doing, a little, having fun with it. And I take, I take it as a challenge. There are some times where I don't enjoy it. Like if I've got a guitar player who doesn't shut up, which happens a lot, <laughs> then it's not as fun. But uh, I, I don't know. I take it as a challenge to try to find where I can fit this, that, that, that perfect note in there, you know, the, that nice little scale run that's just going to be like, outline the harmony so perfect keep it perfectly in time and straight in the pocket with the drummer. It, it's a lot of fun for me um, until about the third time through the music, fourth time through the music. Then I'm like, okay, Ooh, okay. I've played the same lick every time now. Okay. What do I do this time? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a lot of fun though. It's, and one thing I want to just clarify that we're not taking this as a knock on CCM music, contemporary Christian stuff. Cause it's, yeah. it's, like the style of the music, its simplicity is intentional. The whole point of that music is not to be something complex and difficult to play. It's not classical music and it's not jazz. It's not supposed to be. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It just takes a little bit different approach. Um, you're still, as the bass player still needs to focus on harmony and still focus on time. It's just a little bit different way of doing it. 
Um, I'm actually glad we touched on this too because that's something that I normally don't think about when I'm playing it just because I'm so used to it. I mean, mm -hmm. I grew up, I started out playing that style of music, then I learned jazz as a secondary thing. And then when I go back to playing that style of music, it's kind of like going back to my roots a little bit. So it's fun in a way. And in a way, I'm like, man, but I know how to do all this other stuff now. I want to do this too. But it's like, you know, but I enjoy it. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm naughty where if uh, there's a long break in between songs or uh, not during the service, in the practice time or uh, after the service is done and uh, I'm not. Well, after the service de is done, I play over the speakers and people like that. But um, I'll turn my sound off and then play a hymn or something with more jazz chords just to give myself a little refreshing taste of what I'm used to playing. So you're a noodler. Um, you're one well, of those guys. <laughs> I would be, except for the fact that I'm playing my, my Eastman. So if I turn off my volume, no one can actually hear me. Right. And uh, and That's I never true. play while people are actually talking. But if like they're working on the PowerPoint slide or something because it got messed up or something, then I'll just play silently um, because it just stimulates it. Honestly, it just wakes me up if I'm thinking about making chord shapes and things like that, because otherwise I'll just sit there and make those open chords without really much thought at all. And uh, it's it's a. It's a bit of a challenge down there just because with all those open strings it can be it can be tricksy to get a rhythm that actually sounds good and it isn't too samey yeah. um I, Man, I, I struggle with my own competence in there because i'm just like am i playing the same exact rhythm every single song because i haven't figured out something else and uh sometimes the answer is yes because anything more would be going too far yeah, yeah yeah and uh or I can go even simpler, which um, sometimes is the right thing. Sometimes, sometimes it is, and uh, we don't have a drummer or anything like that. So, so much of the percussive drive is on my playing that a lot of the time I'm limited mm. to a certain amount a of uh, rhythmic patterns per song. Well, that um, actually brings up a good good thing we could talk about too: is when you're playing in a setting without a drummer. Like, how do you set yourself up to feel the pocket and feel time the right way? And in that situation, the onus is on your bass player for sure. Um, I mean, your guitar player is going to have to play rhythmically and interestingly, but your bass player is, that's, there's going to be a lot on the bass player in that situation. There's a ton um, of space to fill when there's no drummer. There is. So, Regardless like, of what kind of drums, it could be box drum, it could be a pair of bongos, no matter what drum it is, yeah. if it's not there, there's a ton of space. It could be a shaker, just any percussive instrument fills up a ton. Um, so like, this um, brings me back to our days playing those uh, the duo gigs that you and I used to do, especially down at the, uh, the Academy of Fine Arts in Lynchburg. Mm -hmm. That was... So when we played those gigs, a lot of times I would play my electric upright bass because the sound was, the sound of an upright bass is so different than the sound of an electric bass. When you're playing jazz stuff, it's perfect for it. But especially when there's only two of you, I feel like it just, it, it's really bouncy, and I feel like it just makes things a lot more rhythmically interesting. Almost necessary. without having to work as hard. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I feel like to get my electric bass to sound as rhythmically instrument rhythmically interesting as my upright bass i have to work harder 
and I have to do more things like palm muting or some slapping, stuff like that. I love palm muting. I'm not a huge slap guy. It's fun, but it's just not something that I like to do in my playing. But uh, I remember, so what I would do in that situation is I'd try to play percussively with also keeping it straight down the, straight down the middle. Right. Uh, like, I remember we've got this one recording of the tune Black Orpheus, which I know we talked about that last week. So if you haven't noticed, that's one of our favorite tunes to play. <laughs> and um, I remember I was playing really percussively during that. And if I had a better preamp, it would have sounded better in the recording. But that's besides the point. So I was trying my hardest to keep time perfectly down the middle but also add some of those percussive elements so that way Matt could just be more free, especially when he was playing the melody or playing a solo, so he didn't have to worry about trying to comp at the same time as his playing. They keep it super interesting. And back then, um, that was a lot so, more necessary than today. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we've, we've both grown a lot since that point in time. So if we were to do the same thing now, I'm sure it would be 100 times better. But Because this was a couple of years ago. But man, it was... It was really it was a fun challenge because you have to you have to have some of those percussive elements, whether you're palm muting, you're adding some ghost notes, some muted notes in there, or whether you're playing like the rockabilly sort of thing on the upright bass, kinda like what I was doing. So I was actually popping the strings on the upright bass to get that real percussive snap to it. Mm-hmm. Because like if you listen to bluegrass, a lot of times they don't really have a drummer. They got that upright blaze upright bass player playing root fifth root fifth but with some a lot of percussive sounds to it either they slap the body of the upright bass or they smack the strings into the fingerboard so i was trying to kind of replicate that man it was fun (laughs) it's not easy um so matt when you're in that situation what are you listening for on the bass player when there's no drummer around you mean yes um that puts you on the spot there yeah, really. I mean, <laughs> I'll be I'll be a hundred percent honest. I uh, back when we had those situations, you were playing so well. I never really had to think much about it. <laughs> so it it was All right. honestly well, I, just. I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> which is why it's a it's it's rough living halfway across the country because I miss those days. But um, I don't. I didn't have to worry about a thing. But oof. That's a loaded question simply because of that. I never had to worry about it that much um, because you had a good sense of filling that space. But I guess uh, obviously there is that uh, that necessity for just keeping the tempo. Um, right. But I think that uh, one of the most important things in those situations of small groups is uh, the bass player has a ton of responsibility for um, holding the form together. That's true. Um, Making sure everybody knows where the head is. I try to keep that as clear as possible in my playing. Exactly. And um, the head I'm sure that I would be a lot better at it today. But back then, it was much easier for me to get <laughs> a little bit lost and um, and have issues hearing. So That's true. That was um, a common problem for you for a long time. You worked yeah. that out of your playing, though. Yeah, in time, I got over that. But I know that for a long time... Uh, keeping track of where we were was a struggle. And a lot of that came down to the fact that um, I just wasn't experienced enough yet to actually be able to comp myself and play the melody. And I would get a little bit wizzy wazzy on where everything was. Um, 
But if it were today, then it would be that feeling of locking in and actually paying attention to what I'm doing. So uh, like we talked about last week, like the base, as much as it has um, an extremely important role, a lot of that role is support. So that is very true. If I'm sitting there and the bass player starts playing something that is just really flashy, I'm probably going to end up hanging back and then just kind of being like, are, are you ready for me to play yet, dude? <laughs> right. Um, which, uh, which is possible. It's, um, of course, the bass in this, if it was a duo situation, it does tend to, like, both instruments aren't that loud. So being too flashy would be weird. But, um, the other thing is just the fact that if I change something along the way on the ride, which nowadays would be a little bit less odd and more sensible, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I'm relying on that bass player to actually pick on some uh, pick up on something that I want to do. Like maybe right. I want to kind of change the feel. Maybe um, maybe I throw some triplets over a, a, over a four four, and I'm messing with the time. I'm relying on that bass player to hold everything together while I do what I right. want to do. Um, that's true. And that's one thing as a bass player, you have to keep your ears open, especially in a jazz setting, because your jazz is all of, I mean all music, but especially jazz is all about communication. So if your guitar player is soloing and he wants to play a three over two and he's going to play something completely out of time, don't follow him in that situation, but make it make what you're playing more simplistic. So that right. way it's not clashing. So if you're playing eighth notes, like if you're playing a double time thing and all of a sudden he starts playing out of time, it might make sense to switch down back to quarter notes just to make it feel better because you, you can't both be doing two complex of things at the same time. So it... That's one thing. You just got to keep your ears open, mm-hmm. especially in the, in when the, you're talking about form. <laughs> yeah, really. In the like in an improv section, if I'm soloing, part of what I look for in people that I play with is that someone who's actually responsive, that listens to me and will play in response to it. So if I play something that is very obviously a call, I expect someone to talk back. Right. In some way, of course, as a bass player, like you're holding a lot of the foundation, but I would still expect that you'll be able to come back with something like if we're playing in blues, it's much more likely that I might throw something out there that I expect to get something back. And if I end up having to fill that space because you weren't listening, then that's that's a little awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. It's a little disappointing. And it shows me that you might not know really where you are. Um, and you're not paying attention to what I'm doing. So all of my creativity for communicating with you is shot because there's a wall there where you're just completely absorbed in playing a 12 bar blues. And then I just have to feel like, dude, why do you need that much focus on a 12 bar <laughs> blues? Um, <laughs> and, um, that's true. Especially in something like that, like the more simple of the song, like if I'm playing milestones, that's extremely straightforward. Then I'm but really hoping- get lost in that form. Yes, it's, it's <laughs> extremely easy to get lost in it because it's very simple. Exactly. Um, and that, moral, that's a situation funny. where if uh, if the bass player isn't listening and isn't keeping track of things, it can be brutal. But there's a lot of room for creativity in that simplicity. So 
I kind of want to hear a little bit of creativity and the bass playing that I can play off of, but I also want to be able to um, shape the path forward in the song too. Right, 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 right. right. And if I come, if I play something that is, um, I just get a good idea that I use and I play. If I hear something called back in the bass playing, I will keep that idea running forward in some way. And that can really make something, especially if it's being recorded, then that's just gold. And, uh, right. That's true. Like, uh, I remember one of, one of my most favorite recordings is, uh, is of us playing at one of the restaurants in downtown Lynchburg. And, uh, it was a recording of us playing. It don't mean a thing. Mm. Me, you, uh, drummer and a trumpet and at the end of it we just kind of vamped for a little while and it got that that is still one of the most uh improvised perfect moments that i can remember that i miss most because we just knew where everything was and everything was falling together in such a way that it was really inspiring to actually keep moving forward in studying jazz and things just because things happened at the end of that song that I never expected to be able to come out of my fingers or as a group in general. Um, right. Ideas and were coming in left like- and right. Everything's being layered over each other. Everything is feeling so good. And we were playing at a tempo that is unreasonably fast. And yet we were able to hold everything together. And uh, right. The bass sounded really good on that one. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's part of kind of what you're talking about last week when you were talking about the magic in a performance is when you have that pocket that's set up by your bass player being perfectly in time and your drummer feeling the groove the same way the bass player is feeling it and then everybody else can kind of layer in there easier that's when the magic quote unquote really happens you know because it just feels so good and everybody can just relax and look around at each other and smile and be like man this is it right here. This is where it's fun. <laughs> it's that moment that it really cultivates the creativity. It's um, right. It inspires the players. It it, uh, it brings them a bit of joy and it opens them up a little bit. If they're feeling rushed or dragging, that's gonna that's gonna pull that that creativity down a little bit. So it's right. um it's kind of like slow cooking on on a stovetop. If you uh. Just don't turn up the heat all the way and expect someone to cook really quick because then you'll uh, cut into it and there's a raw center and you get someone sick. But if you just take your time and feel nice, put it around medium and be patient with it and really feel it out, add some salt and spices in there, that's going to be something really nice in the end. Right. Like uh, one tip that I'd have for people that we used to do this all the time, we'd be playing gigs, we'd extend our intros a little bit. And so we'd mm-hmm. keep our vamps going like um, we would just repeat it a second time or a third time because we were trying to set up that pocket, especially if the first time either didn't feel great or felt perfect. We'd want to extend it a little bit to get everybody cooking on the same page, you know, because right. just because then you start off perfectly together and it just, man, it feels really good. It helps a lot on high like tunes. It does. It, it really slow. does. Like, like uh, really high and really slow. If you just give a bit of time at the start of that, just so that everyone can fall into place just fine, I think it helps a lot. Because if you just hop boom, right into the melody, you didn't really give time for it to sizzle a bit. 
Oh yeah, of course. Sizzle. That's a that's an Andy Benton term right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I don't. It was just a lot of fun doing stuff like that. You know, because you if you extend it, especially as a beginner player, you give everybody more time to figure it out. When you're a pro, you kind of expect that everybody's going to get it together the first time through. But, you know, you have your good gigs and you have your bad gigs. Some nights everybody's not going to have it and other nights everybody's going to be cooking with fire. You know, it's going to be awesome. So it just, it kind of depends. But that's one tip I'd have is kind of extend it. Um, so we're talking about time and all that sort of thing. Matt, what do you think, what is your opinion about practicing with a metronome as an aid to help you learn to play in time? Um, I'm a naughty musician. A lot of the time I don't use a metronome, but I will if it's time to like really apply myself and getting something down. Um, I remember in prep for my senior recital, the way that I learned Spain was sitting in uh, Mr. Spencer's office with a metronome going real slow and playing through the, the uh, what would you call it? The B section of that song? The, the, the trickiest bop, part. Bop, 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 yeah. Bop. yeah. Um, playing that really slowly and with a metronome uh, to really iron out the, the nuances in, the, in uh, that, that melody's rhythm mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's it's a complicated one. It doesn't sound nearly as difficult as it actually is, at least on a guitar. It just lays a little bit odd. Um, it's really right. fun, but it's a little weird. But um, in general, I don't typically use a metronome. I will when it, like I said, when it comes to really hunkering down on a tune. Um, right. Mostly because I really do try to feel an inner metronome and get um mostly because i've been working on that specifically because of like playing in a uh a worship music setting where we don't use a metronome there at all and a lot of it depends on my inner metronome Mm -hmm. um and other situations where i want to like like as a teacher um i don't typically whip out my metronome on my phone because honestly I don't want to waste the battery when I need my maps to get to the next lesson. <laughs> um, Maybe you so, should bring a standalone metronome with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just haven't paid for that yet. And some of the kids, <laughs> they have a metronome like on their piano and that's great because when they, uh, when they become a little older and they're playing and they're ready for it, then we can start using a metronome to work on stuff like that because in my opinion is it's extremely important until you have a sense of tempo down, you want to get used to that because when you practice something and it's just you, you will drag, you will rush, you will slow down in the tough sections. You really want to put on that metronome when you're ready to actually learn the song because you want to know whether or not you're actually keeping your tempo through the whole thing. Um, yeah. Because if you hit a problem section and uh, in your practice time, you were slowing down to get through it without really thinking about it. And then you go and play that song in a group. When it gets that uh, to that section, it's going to feel outrageous because everyone else is playing on tempo and you're used to slowing down at that part. Right. Um, so I think 
it's most important when you're going to go and play with a group because you don't want to embarrass yourself that way. But you also want it for when you're playing solo stuff because you still want to be able to drive a groove if you're playing solo. It's just the fact that at least at that point, if you, your tempo changes a little bit, it's a little less noticeable when there's no one else there. So right. at least then it's okay. But um, you want to be able to develop an inner tempo and a sense of your own metronome just so that honestly you can hear things like the group is rushing the group is dragging i'm rushing mm-hmm. i'm dragging i did not practice this enough things like that um, that's a horrible feeling when you discover that yeah like um <laughs> i've been saying the last couple of weeks that i've been i've been working on donnelly on and off and hop into that and i'm not even close to the tempo that it would be performed at Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get my fingers around the melody. And eventually, if I find some sort of secret love for it, then maybe I'll get it up to tempo and I'll be ready to play. But I don't see myself using that in a performance, so I'm not that worried about it and haven't like turned on the metronome and sat down and maybe made myself go nuts with it because right. I don't really want to integrate it into any performances in the future, so I'm not too concerned with it. Now, if I wanted to hone my uh my playing on spain then i'd whip out a metronome and make sure that i'm up to snuff on it before i'd go and actually use it somewhere because that one like i said it's very focused on the nuance of it so you want to make sure that you're hitting those those beats at just the right spot and honestly it goes pretty quick so you want your fingers to be able to move fast enough because it goes a little bit quicker with those awkward fingerings than you expect it to. So right. that, that, that would I be my thing on the, metronome is you want your own inside of you, but until you get there, definitely use one. Oh, of course. And I'm not yeah, going to look at it the same way. I don't. It's just, I like <laughs> to try to work on making sure that I have a really good inner tempo so that in situations where a metronome isn't um, accessible or necessary, that I just have good time. Um, right. Because a lot of the time when I play, there's a lot of responsibility on me to be able to do, to uh, keep a tempo. So I try to keep that on me in practice too. Right. I, got, I look at it in a very similar way. Um, there are several. There are basically two main schools of thought when it comes to the metronome. One of them, the Jeff Berlin idea. Jeff Berlin is a legendary bass player and teacher. He runs a. He's got a music school up in Clearwater, Florida. Um. He looks at it, he thinks the metronome shouldn't be used. And the reason he thinks that is because he's like, how are you going to play something in time if you can't even play it to begin with? And he's, I mean, he's got a good point. I think that he's only halfway right. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's how I approach the metronome. I don't use it when I'm first learning a tune. I take it as slow as I need to, whether that's one note at a time whether I can play the phrase right immediately and I get it under my fingers first and I figure out where am I? Can I play these notes right or not? Can I, you know, it's, can I play it remotely close to the tempo that I want to play it at? No. Okay, cool. Well, just give me my baseline so I can figure out where all the notes are. What fingering am I going to use? Like when I first started Donnelly, I was like, what fingering should I even approach this with? And it, so I had to figure out what fingerings I was going to use before I hit it with a metronome because 
I didn't want to ingrain in me practicing it the wrong way. So my plan was figure out the easiest way for me to feel this across the instrument, and then I'll start it with a metronome. And then when I do start the metronome, I start it out pretty slow. I'll start it out less than half tempo generally. Mm-hmm. And I'll do that. And if I can play it right three times in a row, I'll boost it five clicks or ten clicks, depending on where the tune I'm working on. Then I'll do it again. And then I'll boost it again, and I'll boost it again. And then what I do, let's say I want to play the tune at 150 beats a minute, I will learn it 200 or 250 beats a minute. Because I want to be able to play it way faster than I ever need to, so that way when I count it off at the gig, it's comfortable and I don't have to think about it. Um, I think a metronome is an invaluable tool, but it's just that it's a tool. You don't want to rely on it like some people do. That's the key. Yeah, because if, if you have to have the metronome to play in time, you really haven't used the metronome the way, right way. So a few tips on that to be able to make sure you can do that. So you're playing along, okay, you got the metronome on your quarter notes, and you can play it right in time. It feels great. So do this. Cut the metronome in half and have the metronome on beat one and three. And then keep playing at the same tempo because your metronome is just clicking half as fast. And if you're still in time, do either do it again and have the beat metronome just on beat one and see how that goes for you. And then I, I like to do things really weird. I, when I was trying to learn how to, how to feel jazz on beat two and four, I set my metronome to beat two and four. That really messed with my head. It was really difficult. <laughs> but I learned how to play in the pocket because I wanted to feel that hi-hat on beat two and four. So when I set the metronome to that, and I just played through walking lines and took a tune that I knew I felt comfortable with. I can't remember what tune it was. It might have been Have You Met Miss Jones, something like that. And um, I did that with the metronome on two and four. And then I cut it out. I had the metronome just on beat four or just on beat one or just on beat two, just on beat three. That way, no matter where I was, when that metronome clicked in that measure, if I was with it, fantastic. I'm good to go. If I wasn't with it, it's like, all right, I got some more work to do. Let me let me try it again. Let me slow it down a little bit or let me try it with the metronome on all four beats again. And so what that does is that forces you to feel the time internally, not just listen to the metronome for it. Because right. you might hear the metronome on beat two, but then you got to feel beat three, four, and one. And then if you're like Victor Wooten recommends doing this, and this is really hard to do, have the metronome click on the and of one. So one and two, three, four, one and two, three, four, and then try to play your tune. I mean, if you can do that, then you're doing pretty well. Um, I also would do set it on beat one of the first measure that I was playing, and then I'd play two measures. So I'd have it on. So I'd have the click on one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. And so I would have it on beat one every other measure. And what that did for me, and I don't know, Matt, you, you've heard me play a bunch. You can vouch whether this is true or not. I feel like I've got pretty good internal time now because yeah. I was I forced myself to feel every other beat other than the one that was clicking on the metronome. And by spreading it out like that and making it thin, it really makes you know your stuff, especially yeah. as a bass player. When even if all you're responsible for is quarter notes or eighth notes, if I mean it's it's not always as easy as it sounds. <laughs> so yeah, I felt it, like that was a good tool. 
it really is a self-examination tool more than it is uh, a crutch. That That's what you want to get it to the point of where you use it to really evaluate yourself and listen to yourself instead of just playing willy nilly and then going out on stage thinking that you got it down. It's more so to make sure you've got yourself. Like mm-hmm. if, um, if you never touch the metronome at all, then how do you know you're playing in time? Um, if, you use it too much and you use it with literally everything, including when you perform, how are you, what, what's going to happen when everybody else changes tempo? What happens if something turns the beat around? Um, you, but I, I have all these variables, all these variables that you don't know about, you know, when you're performing so many things that could go wrong. So, you know, who knows, your drummer might be playing along and he's smiling, he's having a fun time, and then he sees a cute girl, and well, we know how drummers are. <laughs> Next thing you know, beat one's gone. Nobody knows where that is anymore, unless, except for hopefully your bass player. <laughs> right, 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 right. You never know. I mean, I've, I've seen all sorts of crazy things happen when we're playing out where just for the strangest reason. Or, okay, like I was playing a gig the other day, and... Um, we had a drummer and then we had a percussionist who had some cymbals and stuff. I don't know how he did it, but he hit the cymbal so hard it flew off the cymbal stand. Impressive. Yeah, it was it was wild. And he's standing right behind me. Man, that was loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so everybody just turned and looked at him. We kept playing and time thankfully stayed in the right spot. But it was awkward. And then he did it again actually during the actual um, gig instead of just in the rehearsal. I was like, what the heck, man? It was crazy. It was hilarious, but it was completely unexpected. You, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah. Uh, how many times have we played gigs where the drummers forgot a kick pedal? And so he's had to actually <laughs> kick the kick drum, or we had to play without a kick pedal for the first half while his girlfriend went to go get it, get it from his house or something, you know? <laughs> right. That's happened to us several occasions. So you don't like want to be reliant string on String breaking else. or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, um, and this is an extreme example, but Victor Wooten on that solo, I think it's Amazing Grace that he's playing. It's really popular on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He breaks one of the strings right in the middle of it, and he just kind of looks at it and is like, oh, well, and just kept going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was still in time. I mean, he didn't really miss a beat on there. Right, 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 right. It was pretty impressive. So... Yeah, as a bass player, if you can play in time and you can outline your harmony, you're going to do pretty well for yourself. You don't have to have all the chops in the world. I mean, listen to pop music, listen to these studio artists. I I mean, I guarantee these bass players that are playing for them have the chops to do more, but they're not doing more because that's not what the song calls for. They're playing what's necessary, what's in the pocket, what feels well, and what everybody else is expecting of them, which is harmony and end time. Those two things will get you a long ways as a bass player. That's like, if you can do those things, you've pretty much mastered the instrument. Well, for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) At least the most important aspects of it you've mastered. All right. Well, um, I think we're coming to the end of that segment. Anything else you think we need to highlight there? I don't I don't think so. I guess we'll uh, we'll revisit the essentials of uh, bass when we come back around and like talk about tone, probably alongside of guitar too, because I don't think mm. that that is a 
necessarily enough to no. fill up our full hour, but uh, those are similar enough instruments that we could talk about those in one uh, one episode. That'd be a good one. Yeah, that that would be really fun because I feel like uh, that that can make a world of difference too. That can mess with both your harmony outlying and uh, and timing if your yeah. tone is is a boop dookie. So and you strive <laughs> your whole life to get that tone, man. Mm, everybody's always after a new tone. <laughs> It's really fun. It's fun to talk about. It's it's fun to experiment with, try new things. Uh, yeah, for sure. Make your knobs go away that you've never imagined that you would want them to just to try something, things like that. But we'll talk about yeah. that another time. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so Matt, what is your recommendation of the week? My weekly recommend would be, uh, I don't think it's a specific album necessarily. I just want to mention a artist that i love a lot it's um they're called disaster piece all one word Whoa, um, that sounds fun <laughs> yeah yeah i i don't know if there's a specific name for the style of music i don't really care because i'm not a elitist genre person um but i call it pixel music because it has a 8-bit 16-bit kind of a sound um mm, they okay. uh any of you listeners, you might be familiar with them. They did the um, the film score for the movie It Follows, which is a really fun horror movie from a few years back. Uh, and I tend to think they made that movie, or he did. I don't. I don't know if it's a group or not. Um, they also did the soundtracks for the a few indie video games, but mainly Fez and Hyperlight Drifter. Both of those. Um, the soundtrack sound a tiny bit similar, but every track on it is extremely relaxing. It's very creative. Uh, it hmm. you feel like you're taken to a different place when you listen to it. Like a lot of the time, if I really need to relax, like I'm really stressed out, I'll just um, put on nice headphones and go for a walk outside and put their music on because it's very imaginative. It's inspiring. It um it's extremely relaxing. Um, there's wonderful highs, wonderful lows. It's not necessarily melodic or anything like that. Like, like I said, this is film scores and soundtracks and, uh, all of their stuff. That's just like their, I mean, all of it's original, but their, their own album work, um, or his, okay. I don't know, um, is all kind of of that tone where it's very ambient, right. um, more so than, a actual okay. specific idea where, uh, other groups that I have in my little pixelated playlist, a lot of them do have more of a melodic idea um, and more of go for that old school Nintendo NES sound there where the really <laughs> memorable melody, which uh, we'll talk about something like that sometime. I love that music, but uh, I would definitely check them out. They, uh, they're really good to just put on in the background. Um, they will, fill out a room indeed and uh i've got a lot of uh um, friends that are really into their stuff and hopefully they come out with something new soon because they've got uh have got some serious talent for uh tonality and um it, it makes you feel things <laughs> hmm. that's pretty interesting i haven't listened to them before do they have like the you know, the minimalist minimal, minimalism music where you have that kind of ambient feel where something slightly changes and it develops. Is it like that sort of thing or? Yes. Yeah. It okay. is very similar. I, 
if I were to take a wild guess, I would say that his composition style is um, is based on a minimalist concept. Okay. Um, it's not like full on Steve Reich or Philip Glass, but um, right. It definitely. I wouldn't okay. be surprised if those were some big inspirations for him. It's just yeah. now it's all synthesized because it definitely seems like that's kind of the um, the feel you've got going on there, which that combines two of my favorite things, minimalism and that 8-bit sound. <laughs> right. I'm t- Minimalism, you know, that is such an interesting style of music. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. It's stressful yet relaxing at the same time, if that's even possible. <laughs> That, that is something to definitely put on if you want your brain to be, like, challenged rhythmically. <laughs> well, that – and I feel like it's perfect studying music. Like, when I was in college, if I had a big paper to write or something, I didn't listen to jazz because, shoot, man, That's I'd right. be too much into music. but Or basically any other type of music, but that minimalism. So for people that don't know, what it is is you have, like, your – you have a theme that they'll play. And, like, the way it started out is you'd have – let's say, for example, two piano players, they'd be playing the same thing. Then one of them would gradually speed it up, but the other one would stay in time. Mm -hmm. And you get these crazy harmonies that are just, they, I I feel like they just kind of take you to a place that no other music really takes you to. Mm -hmm. Like in a way, I feel stressed out when I hear it because I'm like, oh man, that's that's uncomfortable. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I kind of like this because of the way it resolves. It always they always make it come back around to to matching up at the end, and it's just like it's just nice. I like it. Yeah, there's it's a it's a, every tune is an experiment in uh, in layering, in rhythm, and harmony, and melody. So you have a polyphonic, polyrhythmic right. um, lab like test going on all at it. once. So there's a lot of things that can happen on the way. There's different layering that ha- different ideas that overlap in different ways. Things get turned right. around. Um, it's all about layering. I feel like the harmonic part of it is just kind of what's going to happen. I don't feel like that they're not, yeah. they might be thinking about, okay, so when I do this, it's going to create this sort of dissonance and it's going to end up with discord, which is possible, but I don't think that's as much what they're thinking. I'm mostly, no, think I don't that think it is at all. It's just I a result. Yeah, it, it's what happens along the way. It's it's mostly experimenting with those uh, different meters, and then just a a polyphonic noise of everything is layered in different way. And it, like you said, it kind of ignores harmony. Harmony happens naturally because different sounds harmony. Boop. Right. Um, it's it's but all it's about not a journey. Like they're like here there'll be a C major nine, but that turns into an A flat thirteen because the way that those ideas then cl- I don't think that they ever think of that. It's, I don't think so either. I mean, it's we taking might be one wrong, idea but. and then making one go slightly offset, and then putting another idea over here with this instrument, and then they all just sort of take off, and you let them be free, and they go do their thing until eventually come around. Like I've written minimalism stuff before, and it's very simple to write because you just make a simple idea, and then you just kind of let it clash with things in a way. That you just right. kind of let things go and see what it sounds like. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Philip Glass and those those guys up there, they just have a mind where they set out and they know exactly what will happen when they start. But I know from my point of view, when I've played around with it, it's kind of like a 
It's kind of like when you open GarageBand for the first time years ago and you just started <laughs> messing around with loops and putting in different and seeing what weird noises that every, literally everyone else has made before. But you had a lot of fun with just letting things go and turn into whatever they sounded like. Um, right. It, it's basically cool that, but that composing. Way. So you get some really interesting things that happen. Um, and there are basically no rules. <laughs> That's true too. That's always the most fun part of any kind of style when you're composing is when there are no rules. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes I think it's super fun to work within the rules too, because then it yeah, creates sure. a new challenge. Like if you are setting out to compose something and you've got writer's block, you can't think of anything, purposely make yourself use four notes. Pick any four notes and be like, okay, I'm going to use these ones or three notes or whatever, because then you're within a box and it forces you to be creative with it. You might mm-hmm. find some interesting stuff. It might be terrible, but it's something. <laughs> Most of the time when I compose, like uh, I'll start in finale with a, uh, a choir, just a four-part um, voice. And then um, and I'll finish writing whatever I'm writing with that. And then I'll take those parts and apply them to the instruments I actually wanted. So whenever I've written um, for a guitar ensemble, I'm usually writing a four to six um, voice harmony and then i take those parts and hand them to the guitars and it always works out perfectly because it was um right using the vo- the uh the the choral rules to um to resolve things and then bring that over and oh, it, always it creates works. a lot more of a uh, a sing-songy sound to it it's mm-hmm. weird just because it's just different notes applied on a different instrument but because you started with um, like on finale, you were hearing the voices you were thinking with more of a singer's mindset. And then you just put it onto a different instrument, but that vocal sound is still there. Um, And the way you harmonize things as a choir are still there. And those things don't really fail. Um, So as much as you could write minimalism in all of those styles, and it's a ton of fun to just throw the rules into the trash can and just have fun for a while. Um, if you are getting into uh, composition, always start with just four-part harmony and learning right. all those rules because they don't fail. It, it might create That's a true. little box on yourself, but there's a reason why those rules have been the same for for a very, very long years. time. Yeah, because it <laughs> always, always sounds good. That's true. So what was the name of that band again? Disaster Piece. Disaster Piece. Okay, cool. We'll have to put a link to them in a blog or something so people can look them up. Yeah, we, we should. They're, they're worthwhile. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, my, uh, my weekly recommendation actually stems from a pretty great story. Um, I don't want to tell the whole thing yet because I still have a feeling something could go wrong, but um, <laughs> I, I, I just have this don't feeling. I don't know. Oh, well, today's the last. I mean, I can't change anything by this point. So what happens, happens. But um, I work a day job where I, uh, I, I sell suits. And so I got a phone call and basically I needed to sell 22 tuxedos. And I was like, what in the world? How am I going to do this? Well, it turns out it's actually for Michael Buble and uh, his orchestra and his jazz band that's playing. So long story short, I ended up getting uh, some tickets to go to his opening night of his New World Tour. And uh, so I was listening to his newest newest album, 
just as I don't I don't know I'm weird I, I feel like I have to prepare to go to something like that I feel like <laughs> I need to know what I'm gonna be in for you know what I mean I, I don't know so I had to listen to the album um, and his newest album is called love it's really good it's it's I feel like it's a little bit different from Michael Buble at least with the stuff that I'm familiar with of him he actually um, I was reading up on it and his whole point in it was he wanted to develop every song to be able to stand alone on its own instead of having to fit within the realm of an album, but also have them complement each other. And uh, I feel like he was super successful with it. He wanted to have like a cinematic feel for a lot of it. So he uses a lot more strings than I normally hear him use. And it's, it's really good. It's got a, in, in typical Michael Buble fashion, he covers some really good jazz standards, which just makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. So check it out. It's his new album called Love. Um, the story behind it is really cool. Um, for those of you that don't know, Michael Buble, actually, his son was diagnosed with uh, cancer, I think, two years ago. I, I don't know. It was a little bit ago. Well, his son is in remission now. So he called this album Love. He was going to call it My Romance, but he decided to call it Love because he didn't want to explain why he was going to call it My Romance. Mm-hmm. But it's all about his... Um, his renewed romance, his new love of music that he's finally gotten back to because his life was so difficult when his son was going through all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. I'm super excited to go to that concert and check it out. Um, but you should listen to the album because it's it's definitely good. I don't think I've heard anything that he's done that I haven't liked. Yeah, a lot of his stuff is it has that, uh, like I said before, a Rat Pack kind of feel a lot of the time i don't know if the mm-hmm. new album still has that uh that it has aspects yeah uh, it's got aspects of it but it's got more cinematic aspects too which is really cool it's different than what i'm used to hearing from them that's it I'll, I'll have to check that out. i know that i've heard something from it but i know you mentioned before we started recording that he did a uh a really cool arrangement of my funny valentine which is appropriate oh, yeah. for this week um <laughs> it is i know it's perfect and then I think that, well, I think they purposely picked a tour start date based oh, off right. of the name of his album. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool. It, he takes that song and I, like, I know Matt and I have an, a version of that we like to play where we turn it into a Latin tune. I've never really heard anybody else record that, but it's it's a ton of fun. Well, he took it and he made it dark. Like it's. I feel like it belongs in a horror movie. It is so awesome. It's something else, man. You gotta, you gotta hear it. Yeah, I, I really need to check that. I, I love that song. If it weren't for that song, I wouldn't have met my wife. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was your first dance too, wasn't it? Mm, was it? I can't remember. I know I played it for you. I, I know think, we played I think it, it at your wedding. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Wow, that's not good. Well, it, the, the weird thing is usually we tend to think of Claire de Lune as our song. Mm-hmm. So when you said that, I had to be like, wait, wasn't it Claire? No, that was the song that opened our wedding. It was. Yes. The, um, but I'm pretty my, sure. Yeah, funny my Valentine. funny Valentine, we did our first dance to because that if it weren't for that song, we wouldn't have met. But uh, I can tell that another time. But um, yeah, we can tell that story later. Yeah, this one's gone <laughs> on a, a little long, but uh it's a great tune. It's um, very straightforward to play. Uh, it like it makes its own creativity from its. Uh, if you just open the real book and play what's there, it already gives you something that sounds great right out of it. You don't have to add much. Um, of course, you can, 
like like we said we like playing it with the dark latin feel to it um it's so much fun yeah 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 and <laughs> we'll we'll uh we'll go into that when we talk about some like arranging or something like that because that's uh That'd i think that's something both of us is, uh, yeah 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 that 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 would be cool because i feel like both of us have a heart for unique arranging and not just playing by the numbers um and giving yeah, things our own fun. little spin to it and making it stand out like uh we we i think we have several from the old days that uh we could talk about if not come up with some new ideas of how to approach things that'd be cool oh, definitely definitely uh that's that's for another day though we've we've talked enough thank you guys for listening um next week we're going to talk about the role of the guitar a little bit so we're going to continue this series but uh yeah, thanks for tuning in. Please uh, give us a, a five-star review on iTunes if you like us. If you don't like us, still give us a five-star review. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll take some criticism with your, with your five-star. That's cool. Yeah, no problem. Um, go ahead and hit us up through uh, through the website, TommyBowles.com. We, remember, we still want to uh, take your submissions and talk about them a little bit, analyze them. If you have questions, send them to us. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Um we want to get involved with you guys as much as possible. And then please share us with your friends, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is that you use. Go ahead and spread the word because, well, we like you guys and we prefer if more people like us too. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we want to get uh, hear from you and talk to you. Uh, you can find us both on Instagram. Mine mm-hmm. is Matt with one T underscore c underscore shaw so matt c shaw not matt with one t c shaw yeah that, that would be nonsense but and um, i'm uh, on twitter i'm at at t bowls music i'm in the same thing on instagram t bowls music b-o-l-l-e-s and uh, you can look us up on facebook as well we might not recognize it but we'll try <laughs> yeah, <no>. so anyways <laughs> all right guys thanks for listening please tune in next week have a good one see you guys Thank you.